It's the end of another week, and everybody knows that it's time to go inside EMS. I am so excited, and if you can see me, this is my excited face to be here with you today, because I think we have a really important topic to talk about, but before we get there, this episode of Inside EMS is sponsored by ECHO. Course Stethoscope Technology by ECHO helps EMS providers make confident split-second decisions in the most challenging environments by enhancing stethoscope sound. You can learn more at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O-Health.com. As you know, Kelly Grayson is convalescing from his surgery. What we know is everything went well this week, and we certainly send him a tip of the hat. But have I got a co-host for you? He is a friend. He is a mentor. He is a role model. He is a speaker. He is just an all-around great guy. He is the past president of NAEMT. And he is the chair of the economics committee for NAMT. And today we are going to pick his brain about the challenges of EMS recruiting in our career field. But Matt, first, welcome to the Inside EMS podcast. Chris, it is always so much fun to be, to be on the show with you. Your energy just leaps through my speakers and sends chills up my spine. So um, thank you for that late in the day, pick me up that I needed um, to be prepared to be a good guest for you on your show. And uh, you read it just like I wrote it. So thank you very much, Matt. <laughs> no, but seriously, man, I, I, it's always great when you're here. I mean, you're always a wealth of knowledge. And I mean, you are, you are just one of those truly a little pat on the back for you because you're such a humble man, but you're one of those leaders in EMS that truly is taking the bull by the horns and ensuring the stewardship that when you walk away from EMS, you left it better than you found it. I don't know that people say that enough to you. And uh, I read it just like you wrote it. So I hope that worked out well. <laughs> Chris, I appreciate that. And, and also appreciate the Texas reference of the bull by the horns there, because we are getting into rodeo season. So I appreciate that. All right. So Matt, let's go ahead and set this up. So EMS Expo earlier in October, we had the opportunity to have a lot of great meetings. And one of the meetings I was in, you were kind of a presenter, not kind of, you were a presenter there. But we were talking about this challenge of finding paramedics. I mean, this is a plague that's going on inside our career field right now that we don't have the resources. We don't have the professionals, the EMS professionals to staff these trucks. And a lot of people are thinking it's COVID. A lot of people are thinking, you know, they're just burnt out and tired. Maybe it's all of that. But first, maybe outline the issue for us of what actually is happening inside EMS with our uh, resources. Chris, we are in a, a very challenging time and it's a, it, we have a dichotomy going on. Because of the public health emergency, EMS is being asked to do many more things than we've ever been, been doing before. COVID testing, in, infusions, um, uh, you know, vaccines, uh, and, and that's launched a, a number of other things that EMS is being able to demonstrate our Swiss army knife-ish approach to healthcare. But the challenge is, uh, oh, and then by the way, I'm sure all of you listening have noticed if you're working in EMS, the call volume has been through the roof. So we've got this pent up demand, call volumes going crazy. Um, and, and we're being asked to do all these additional things that bring more value to the community. And by the way, Chris, as you know, many of those things that we're doing uh, extra are funded and we're able to bill for, or we're getting paid to do them. And we've, we've said for a long time that EMS should be able to do A, B, C, D, E, F and, and get funded for that, get paid for that. And it's happening. So it's happening, but we can't find the resources to be able to meet those requests in our local communities. And it's causing uh, 
a, a major conundrum because we've got this opportunity that we can't capitalize on because we don't have the human resources to be able to get it done, which is really creating um, some some angst in the in the industry, if you will. But it's also giving us the opportunity because it's a widely published issue. You can't pick up the New York Times, watch NBC News, ABC News, uh, Wall Street Journal. Everybody's talking about the, the workforce shortage, the, the great resignation that occurred in August and is now carrying on through September. And EMS has the opportunity to do fundamental redesign about how our services are delivered to help alleviate and mitigate to some extent the workforce shortage. You know, Matt, so when we think about this, I mean, it's really kind of crazy because it seemed that during the COVID, you know, pandemic, we, we were handling these calls. We were taking care of this. Of course, we had a challenge. Call volume was down a little bit. We were starting to see more people who were having, you know, cardiac events at home because they weren't going to the hospital. I mean, what's the catalyst now? I mean, we had the resources. Now they're not going anywhere. Are they burnt out? Are, are there different places to go and make the same money or maybe even more money? I mean, what's the challenge here? It's really three things, Chris. One is people are just done and people are leaving the industry because of the call volume, because of the risk. Um, you know, it's one one thing to, to be worried about a visible en enemy. It's something different to be worried about an invisible energy like a pandemic and, you know, the number of EMS workers and, and other public uh, servants that have died from coronavirus really got people's attention. So a lot of folks that had been working left. And, and we see that across the country and, and it's not worth it. They're going to work at, you know, Walmart or Home Depot, whatever, and, and making similar money and they don't have those same risks. Second, the great sucking sound that you are hearing coming from the healthcare industry is the hospitals sucking the paramedics, primarily paramedics, but even EMTs, but paramedics out of EMS, luring them with things like you're never going to get a late call. And you're going to get to work in air conditioning or in heating, and you're always going to have people around, and we're going to pay for your nursing school, and you can work at your full scope. Because, you know, when I was a young paramedic, I worked at one of our emergency departments in Connecticut, but I was basically a bedpan, you know, blood draw person because I couldn't use my full scope. Well, today, paramedics working in emergency departments are intubating patients, pushing narcotics, doing all that kind of stuff. And the reason that they're going to the hospital, all those things that we talked about, but also the pay rate. So if you're a hospital CEO and you've got a nursing shortage, and we know there's a huge nursing shortage, and you're going to pay an agency 120 bucks an hour to get a nurse to work in your emergency department or anywhere in your hospital, and you can hire a paramedic for $75 an hour, and which is what they're doing in Kentucky right now. The University of Kentucky Healthcare System just put out an ad for um, paramedics working in the emergency department at $75 an hour. And hell, I would do it. <laughs> my ambulance position and, and working out in the field and getting, you know, all the risks that go along with that to go work in a hospital for 75 bucks an hour and have them, you know, pay for my nursing school or my PA school or whatever, because they have that, that benefit available. So that, that is causing a lot of it. And then third, the training. So a lot of training programs were suspended during the coronavirus and they couldn't do clinicals and they couldn't do a lot of the in-person classes. So the people coming through the pipeline was basically shut off. And when you take those three things together, here you go. And you've got this huge void in the workforce, specifically for paramedics uh, across the industry. And I've got a lot of friends who are fire chiefs and they're having a hard time finding uh, firefighter paramedics, really paramedic firefighters to work in the fire department for the same reasons. So it, it's really, I think, 
Chris, a combination of those three main things. You know, I mean, I think that makes sense. And I got to tell you, I mean, we shouldn't have probably said $75 an hour because uh, like you mentioned, <laughs> if I was still on the truck, I would be on the phone uh, trying to get a, a plane ticket to, you know, Kentucky right now. But y- your point is well taken. And, you know, you, one of the things that you said was, is we finally have the money. We're finally seeing money for reimbursement for these things, you know, COVID shots and all these things. I mean, is EMS not coming around to, to bringing up? We always said we wanted to find a way you know, to, to pay our employees more, but that's, that's gotta be a component of this. We've got to be able to say, uh, we've got to take this extra money now and change the rates of what we're paying people. But Matt, e- even if we did that, I'm, I guess I'm going to answer my own question here, but even if we did that, we, we still can't come close to $75 an hour air conditioning and paying for your school. We can't Chris, because the fundamental reimbursement structure for EMS is, is still jacked up. Um, you know, for, for places like Arby's and, and Nebraska Furniture Mart here in <laughs> Fort Worth area, which just put out an ad that they're hiring warehouse workers at, you know, 25 bucks an hour or whatever, uh, for unskilled labor for the most part, um, are, they, they can make up that cost difference because they just raise prices. And that's why the consumer price index is skyrocketing because the supply chain's jacked up because there aren't enough workers and it's costing more to, to, to ship goods and products and people are paying through the nose. We, you know, there's a gas station right down the, the, the driveway here from, from MedStar. And you know, four weeks ago, gas was, was 291. And when I pulled in this morning at 335 this morning, it was 319 in, in three weeks. Um, and, and in Texas, where we've got like no distribution costs because you, you refine it in Houston and they just ship it up to Fort Worth. But we don't have that capability because Medicare's prices are fixed and Medicaid's prices are fixed and the insurance companies jack up the the payment because they send it to the patient or they choose to pay some arbitrary amount. So at the same time, yes, we have more opportunities for revenue through the things that you mentioned, but the the costs for us in EMS has gone through the roof. Uh, N95 masks in 2019, $0.67. In 2021, $3.18. And we're using four times as many. So we can't keep up. And we need fundamental change to how we deliver services, to how we're paid, to really be able to pay people enough to keep them here, to keep them satisfied. But even still, we need to find reasons to to give people to stay with their agency when they're being lured into all sorts of other opportunities. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be crazy. And, And I got a couple more questions before we get to our break. And then on the other side of the break, I want to talk about what EMS agencies need to do, whether it's redesign or whatever that is. So I want to save that discussion. But I think one of the challenges too now, Matt, and I've taken this side, you know, agencies are now putting people on leave because they're not willing to take the COVID shot. It seems like we're cutting off our nose to spite our face. You know, I've taken the position, Kelly has the opposite, that we've asked these people to do this work. And if they feel uncomfortable with taking the shot, let them still work. If they're going to get it, let them get it. If they're going to give it, they're going to give it. I mean, because just because I have the shot and you have the shot doesn't mean I'm not going to pass this. But now we're taking the stance of putting people on leave or we're firing them. I think we're cutting off our nose to spite our face within our career field. I mean, uh, we just heard from uh, New York City that FDNY has just uh, put a, 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 a number of people on uh, unpaid leave because of not taking this shot. For me, I'm asked, can we really afford to do this? Chris, I, I think we, can't, we, we cannot afford not to do it. I know it's a double negative, but he, here's the reality. Looking at it from the, a CEO's perspective of a hospital system or a, an EMS chief, a fire chief, we've got 
the worst of two possible scenarios here. Either you don't mandate it, and we have what we had during the Delta variant and even in the first phase of the coronavirus where you lose staff time because people have to be quarantined, they're out of work, they're, they're spreading it you know, up, 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 across the entire workforce, fire stations being closed because everybody sort of lives together for that 24 or 48 hour time period and you're cross infecting people and um, other people are, are requiring that to come into the hospital, you gotta have a vaccine. So you've got one hand, you're gonna lose employees time on the job because they get sick or sicker because they didn't get um, vaccinated. Then of course, there's a whole, you know, stand up and, and we're healthcare providers and we need to, to follow the science and realize that it's safer to get the vaccine than to not get it. And I'll, I'll put a pin in that and we'll go down that rabbit hole. But then on the flip side, if the person isn't going to get vaccinated and you do need to put them on leave or you have to terminate them, you may not be that far behind because they may have been out anyway, and they may have cross-infected 10 other people, 20 other people, 200 other people. So it's, it's which pill do you take? Which poison do you take? Um, I think for many people, especially in the healthcare field, like EMS is, we are healthcare providers and it, we have to trust the science. We are going to treat people who have coronavirus. We're going to be with people who have coronavirus. We want to protect our patients, want to protect our coworkers, protect our family, get the shot. And, and in, in many healthcare systems where people, yeah, there was a lot of teeth gnashing and, and braying when they said, yep, you got to take it. We're going to mandate it. Um, you know what? At the end of the day, when, it, when push came to shove, one, 2% of the workforce chose not to, to do it and resign. Okay. Uh, so be it. Hire more people. Um, I, and again, I am a way pro-vax person, um, have even gotten my booster shot, but um, I just think that people need to decide. I've got a very close personal relationship um, in one of my family members, two of them, to be, to be, to be clear, who are absolutely not going to get it and are going to get fired from very good jobs because they refuse to get the vaccine. And I just scratch my head and say, seriously, is it really worth that? Yeah, and I'm with you. Now, I'm pro shot as well. I've taken the shot. I've not gotten the booster yet. You were leading by example. Um, but again, I just don't see where we're letting these resources go. But anyway, let's go ahead and take our first break. I, I want us to hold hands and I want us to kind of summon the voice of Kelly Grayson to give us our mid-show read. Uh, so he's going to do that from us from his sick bed. So Kelly, let's go ahead and hit that read. Core stethoscope technology by Echo with active noise cancellation and up to 40 times amplification helps EMS providers assess hard to hear heart, lung, and other body sounds and even the loudest situations. I've tested the Echo Core technology. I use an Echo Core Littman stethoscope every day, and I can tell you that it is a game changer. It will help you hear things that you didn't think were possible to hear, and you will love it if you try it. Learn more at echohealth.com, that's E-K-O-Health.com, and use code EMS1 for $20 off. All right, well, he sounds good, Matt. He sounds good anyway. So, But one of the things that we set up before we went uh, on break, or before I asked you the, the last question was, we need to talk about redesign. I mean, the days of EMS, I mean, one of the things that we've been talking about forever, we created this environment we're in, because as we responded to RFPs, we wanted to be able to be the, you know, the company of choice that cities were accepting. So we said, 
you know, uh, eight minutes and 59 second uh, response time. And we said, let's put two paramedics in a truck. And we said all these things now that in the year 2021 may not be practical. I got to tell you, one of the biggest mistakes I made as an EMS chief when I came up to St. Louis was I created dual paramedic trucks. And then, retros- and then retrospectively, as the community paramedicine uh, transition was taking hold, I should have said I should have created dual EMT trucks and then put paramedics in chase vehicles like we had in the old days. But we got to think about this redesign. Where do you stand on that? Well, Chris, first for the listeners, just so you know, in in the old days when Chris would put paramedics in fly cars, they were in horse and buggy, and would actually go. Not <laughs> just totally teasing Chris, obviously. So. So let's go back to the science. We have created a false narrative in our country regarding EMS that you need to have a paramedic on every call. Hollywood helped that. The fire unions helped that. The fire chiefs helped that. Hell, we helped that because um, we you know, came into communities and say, we're going to put a paramedic on every call. The science does not support that. And at MedStar, we were part of that that dialogue, we, that part of that problem. We, for 35 years, have been an all ALS ambulance system. And we had one paramedic, one EMT on every ambulance. And we, in February, worked with our co-responders and with our community. And because of the pandemic, because of the staffing issues, because of costs and, and the system's desire not to become tax subsidized, we got permission to do the, the unthinkable the, and the heresy thing. And we now have BLS ambulances in our system responding to 911 calls. But you know what? Using good emergency medical dispatch, good quality assurance, good data for local systems to determine which calls really never get ALS, we should never say ever, never say never, but hardly ever get ALS care. It makes a ton of sense to redesign that system to send the right resource to the right call. And Chris, in some cases, for the 26 omega-3 stub toe with a you know bleed underneath a toenail maybe the right response for that is a single resource fly car to to arrive on scene do an assessment maybe do a quick telemedicine if you need to um do and does that patient need to go when we did our emd analysis we found a half a dozen emd codes that had transport rates of under 30 percent why are we sending ambulances to those calls and use that data, redesign the system, use the, the pandemic, the public health crisis to do things that two years ago were unthinkable, that are now acceptable. And when you talk to your community and, and say, listen, paramedics are going to work at the hospitals. We, we just, we want to use the paramedics that we have in a very effective way, keep them from going somewhere else. If we put them in a fly car or we put them in an ambulance that we only send to calls that have a high probability of needing an ALS level intervention, holy moly, paramedics are happier the EMTs are happier. The first responders are happier because when the BLS units arrive on scene, they're nicer to them because they don't have the paragod syndrome. Um, everybody wins, and we have to do that. In California, in some ca- counties, you had, a, you had to have dual paramedic on scene to start ALS. Well, many of the LEMSAs have done the responsible thing and said, hey, you know what? We're going to waive that requirement because we just don't have enough paramedics. And Chris, you know what the odd thing is? No one is dying. And, and we've sold the community, I think, a false narrative that you need to have this paramedic and it's time for us to change that. You need paramedic on echo calls. Maybe you need a paramedic on delta calls, which is 10, 15, 20% of your 911 volume. Well, 
then 10%, 20% of your staffing should be ALS and the rest should be really good BLS. Yeah. I mean, that's really a great place to be. And, you know, it's funny because the, there was a study that came out of Canada called the OPAL study. And this is going back, you know, 15, 17 or so years, Matt, that showed that, you know, EMS could be run by BLS providers. And what was funny is that EMS agencies in the United States played that study down and we didn't give it the credit that it needed to say, well, maybe this is something we need to look at because we still wanted to stay on the top with EMS, you know, with paramedics as the high end EMS provider. But, uh, you know, as we now transition, we've got to consider that. But I want to ask you this question because you have a great knowledge, you have great wisdom when it comes to dealing with city officials and lawmakers. You know, I know that MedStar, having worked down there, had an interlocal agreement that said paramedic and EMT. Now, the EMS agencies need to go to these city leaders. They need to go to these lawmakers and say, well, maybe we were wrong. Give them some tips on how they can go about getting this, you know, these, if they have their own interlocal agreements changed to kind of now step into this new uh, environment we're trying to get into. Yeah, or even a contracted service, or if you're a fire service and you've always been paramedic, here, here's the reality. Data sells. And if you can go into your city council, your city manager, your county administrator, and say, okay, listen, we are having a hard time finding paramedics. We spent a million dollars in overtime last year, or this year, whatever it is. Um, we're working our people to death because we're forced to have a paramedic on every ambulance or on every first response vehicle, whatever it is. And, and here's the data that shows the number of patients that they are treating that actually need ALS care. And I don't mean, Chris, getting an IV and a monitor just because you're there anyway, you might as well do it. I'm talking about a medication administered, an advanced airway procedure done. Um, and when, when you start showing people, okay, it's costing us a million and a half, three million, $10 million to have a paramedic on every call and they're using their skills on 20% of the patients that we're treating, if we change and do X, patients are gonna get great care, we're gonna reduce costs, we're gonna put more vehicles on the street because we can get more EMTs and we can paramedics, and, and really use the data from your system to make your case using clinical science, outcomes from your system, and logic, and I cannot under, understate or underemphasize the economic conversation. And when you talk to a city manager, you talk to a county commission and say, hey, we can keep doing what we're doing, but in order to keep the number of paramedics that we have, we're going to need to increase our budget by $4 million so that we can raise pay rates to $50, $60 an hour to compete with you know whatever. Um, or we can go to a tiered system, put a couple of paramedics in fly cars, pay them $30, $40, $50 an hour, and then have EMTs or heaven forbid, an EMT and a driver in the transport capable unit, and we can reduce our expenses. That's how you have that conversation. We just have to use the science and economics to ask permission to do something that, again, during a pandemic makes sense, um, but two years ago would have been heresy. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. And, you know, that's how fast medicine changes, right? It's in the blink of an eye. You know, MedStar. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt. It. It's not. We've known, you and I have right. had this conversation on the treadmill at the YMCA in Fort Worth, that we don't need all these paramedics because right. the majority of the calls require BLS care. Why are we doing what we're doing? Because we created a false narrative. 
Yeah, I mean, you use the analogy that I've used several times on that specific day that we're standing on a hill and we've got binoculars. What is it that we see in our future? And uh, but but that brings me to my next question because that was the implementation of the community paramedicine model in MedStar when you came there um, as our operations uh, vice president. But now when we think about this new redesign, as we start to think about the future, how do we take the community paramedic and put them into this redesign model? I mean, what's the vision for that? So the vision for that is, I think, really what we're doing at MedStar. So the, the mobile healthcare paramedic, call them whatever you want, let's, let's call them a community paramedic, has extra training to be an ALS backup for a BLS unit if it's needed, to do a home visit, to do an episodic request for a patient that you're getting paid to try and keep out of the emergency department, to be an additional resource for a, a, a freestanding emergency room who has a patient come in and go into cardiac arrest and they only have three people in those freestanding emergency rooms and they need a fourth person and a Lucas device to manage that cardiac arrest. So you send that one person resource with a Lucas device to go help the, the freestanding ER do CPR for a while and then terminate the patient in their ER. Um, and that's where you're going to get highly satisfied paramedics because they're really using their skills for both prevention, community education, social determinants of health, but they're also doing high acuity responses. They're backing up BLS units um, and, and you're able to pay them more because your budget gets a little bit of a budget relief because your cost per unit hour decreases because you're staffing BLS units or because you're bringing more value to the system like we're doing. We're getting paid to do a number of things that have nothing to do with ambulance transport, which allows us to pay those paramedics the six, eight, 10, 15% more than a regular ambulance paramedic because they're bringing more value that we're getting reimbursed for. I think that's the, the, the mobile healthcare EMS integration. And especially if now it becomes part of the nine and one system where, you know, the, the abdominal pain for four weeks that they decide to call about at two o'clock in the morning because they can't sleep. So you send the community paramedic to that call. It's an alpha level determinant and you connect them with telemedicine. And we just negotiated a contract with a payer that is going to pay for the response, not the transport. And we've never used the term ambulance in the response component. So if we've mitigated the response, but only sent a community paramedic on a 911 call and still get paid a thousand dollars for that, everybody wins. And that's great vision. So I got two more questions I want to ask you. The first one is, when we think about EMS, we don't do anything fast. And this is, this is a, a challenge that as a career field, we have to address yesterday. And how do we now think about the transition of what we need to do to make this, let's, I don't even want to say make it, let's say it to save our career field. And I think that that's really where we're getting to. You know, they talk about climate change. I mean, EMS is not on that fast, is not on that slow train. You know, they're, they're going to, we're going to implode if we don't do something. So what do we have to do? I mean, and we got to think about the leaders in our field. We got to think about the associations. We got to think about everything, but we can't wait years for this. Yeah, we're, we're done talking. We, we can't talk anymore. We've talked it to death. In fact, we had a, a comment from one of our uh, federal partners recently and said, hey, we should put a task force together to try and figure out what we can do to resolve the, uh, the EMS worker shortage. No, we're beyond that. That would have been a good strategy two years ago. <laughs> we just can't do it anymore. Now it's up to best practices. It's up to organizations um, like NAEMT and the AAA and AIM High and IFC to educate their members, hey, Tomorrow, you need to go talk to your city manager, your county administrator about changing your system design because the paramedics that you have, the EMTs that you have, you need to keep. 
Um, it's not about recruiting people into the industry right now because that's going to take too long. How do we um, preserve the workforce that we have, keep them safe, stop getting them killed in car crashes and getting coronavirus and those risky things that we know are going to cause them harm that we still support, which is just ludicrous to me, um, and, and tell them, okay, so starting the first of the month, here's how we're going to respond to calls, and this is what's going to help keep our workforce um, happy and keep them here and not have them go to the hospital um, and, and do it as a pilot project, do something. Simultaneously, you need to figure out from your workforce, and Chris, when you and I first got into EMS and at our age now, we have different motivations than the people that are coming into the industry today. And we don't speak their speak. We need to reach out to them and say, what is it that will make you happy and keep you here so that we can keep you here for the next five years? Um, and listen to them and then do what they say. Uh, we've done some crazy things in our organization because it's fun. We've done it because people have suggested it. They want to have fun at work. They don't want to work overtime. Chris, there was a period where we were paying $600, $700 shift bonus to pick up an overtime shift and people weren't doing it because they valued their time off more than they valued that extra $600 plus the overtime pay that they were going to be getting for that 12-hour shift. Okay, let's figure out how you tell us because we don't want you to leave three months from now. We want you to stay here for the next three years and, and we're willing to, to do whatever it takes to keep you here and do the unthinkable, just like we're asking city leaders and county leaders to do the unthinkable, do things that you and I, Chris, would have cringed at um, 10 years ago is now acceptable because we have to figure out a way to keep these people here. And it's great that we're there. It's great that we have to, we have these opportunities to think about it, but more importantly, we've got to be able to act on it. So Matt, before we started uh, recording, I mean, it's always great to catch up with you and talk to you. You, you were talking about an endeavor that has to deal with Congress and something that really is going to make an impact that everyone in EMS needs to jump on the bandwagon and commit to getting involved in this process. Will you share that with the listeners? Absolutely. So national associations do a great job of advocacy. And what advocacy really means is lobbying. And the thing that gets legislators' attention are letters, phone calls from their constituents. And the NAEMT and, and all the national associations have made it very easy to send letters to members of Congress, your members of Congress th that represent you. So I just tested on behalf of our advocacy committee, an online legislative service that an EMT is going to launch next week, that with two, three clicks of a mouse, you can send a letter to your elected officials that says, here are the four things that you need to do today, Congress, to fix the worker shortage. It's, it's funding for pay raises. It's funding for um, military people coming out and being able to get into EMS more quickly instead of being homeless in the street. But it makes it really easy. The, the thing that excited me though, Chris, is Congress is one thing, getting it fixed at the local level is even more important. And when, when I just tested that online legislative service, there's a new feature added that based on your zip code allows you to take that same letter that you just sent to your member of Congress and send it to all of your local newspapers as a letter to the editor. Very nice. And I'll tell you, EMS has gotten a lot of attention. We are the darlings of the healthcare system and in the communities. And if the Fort Worth Star-Telegram gets 1,400 um, letters to the editor that were <laughs> copied to you know, Senator Cornyn, they're going to print it. Yeah. And now the local officials start to say, yeah, this is a big deal. We need to start paying attention to this because we need to attack it both federally, statewide, but more importantly, at the local level to get that EMS system relief. 
Yeah, very good stuff. And and just another reason why supporting the uh, National Association of Emergency Medical Technicians is important because it's the things that they do for the career field, for the EMS provider. And I always believe, and I've always said that if we call ourselves professional, we have to be able to belong to a professional organization. Matt, I got to tell you, every time you come and visit, it's great to uh, hear from you. It's great to learn from your wisdom. It's great uh, to pat you on the back for the work that you're doing for our career field. And I just want to uh, thank you for being here. And you have a final thought for the listeners? No, Chris, I'm just really glad that you took this up um, for the listeners and, and for the listeners, we need to help ourselves and get involved, talk to people, to come up with ideas that will keep you happy, keep you working at those organizations, but also don't be afraid to write letters to the editor. Don't be afraid to talk to people about, we need help right now because we're buckling. The system is buckling and it's going to collapse if we don't do something like right now. And everybody out there, I mean, you've heard the cry. This is the cry for help. You know, we are, we're the people that, you know, everyone's going to call when they need help, but we need help. And now it's time for you to step up. It's time for you to get your peers to step up. And we've got to be able to save the career field. We've got to be able to get the lawmakers to do what they need to do to ensure EMS. You know, we, we were there. We were take care of people during, taking care of people during the pandemic. They said we were the sweethearts of the healthcare. Matt said it. But now what do we got to do? We've got to stand up for ourselves. So I want to thank everybody for listening. If you have any questions or comments, go ahead and email us at the show at ems1.com. For Kelly Grayson, I'm Chris Sabalera. I want to thank our guest, Matt Zabodsky, for joining us. We'll talk to everyone real soon.